welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what is supposed to be the common bridge. But as the listening audience knows and some of the members out there, sometimes we throw you a curve and we're throwing you one right now. This is uh, a podcast that Rich and I did just last night um, because we wanted to talk a little bit about coronavirus, uh, the economy, and the elections. So we're going to join Bill Michaels on Thursday, I believe, this week with uh, Rich's interview with him, uh, which is very much the common bridge and its policy. And it's a great interview with Bill Michaels when we talk about the supply chain economy. And uh, it actually ties into the coronavirus. But for today, join us. This is Rich Helpy and I talking about everything that's happening this week on the eve of Super Tuesday. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the other side. Well, welcome to the Common Bridge, and and of course, it's not the Common Bridge. Rich, I've done it to you again. I've found you. We're doing this remote, and I just got to ask you about what's been going on the last week. This time it's coronavirus. This time it's uh, a couple of um, uh, candidates dropping out. So how you doing, and tell us what's going on. Oh, well, thanks, Brian, and that I have no clinical chops at all, no medical training at all. Um, and I have seen a lot of medical data go by, and I did try to talk to as many people as I could and, and do as much uh, reading. And uh, this coronavirus is indeed serious, um, and the seriousness of it is because it's unknown. Um, the depth of it, the breadth of it, uh, these are things that the, uh, we're still learning about. Um, I. I've been encouraged by the steps that many countries have taken uh, to try to get their arms around this. Um, you, you know, and I'm, as, as you know, I'm always optimistic and I see people putting aside um, what might be, you know, e economic pursuits by canceling traveling, canceling meetings, closing um, factories to see if we might get the medical and um, scientific community uh, we might be able to give the medical and scientific community some time to uh, to address this and tell us, you know, a little bit what is it that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's a my lay understanding is that there's many clinical and medical reasons uh, to be cautious and to to not try to rush through this and say, gosh, it's it's over and, you know, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. <laughs> and and again, you've been around a lot of this and, and you and I are, are of similar age. So we go back through SARS, we go back through mirrors. Um, my wife and son are in the medical um, field and they say it is very serious, like you just said, but they also said it's the flu. And the coronavirus has been around for, coronaviruses have been around for thousands of years. Um, what do you see as far as how this is impacting us economically? And without being crass, how much hype is involved with this? Is this like following a hurricane, which sometimes we get overhyped? I think it's different than a hurricane. Um, 
we've talked on the show about the supply chains being global in nature. Mm -hmm. We had a couple of guests on that are actually experts in South China. Mm -hmm. And remember, China spent decades building up the capacity to produce, um, to, to manufacture and to source uh, raw goods. Um, and also we're going to have Bill Michaels on talking about supply chain in North America. Um, so when a GM plant in Wuhan, China uh, halts production, there is a ripple effect uh, that will affect us here. Uh, the the thing that I think is different is that, um, you know, in a recession, um, there's uh, cash goes to the sideline, price of products drop, production drops. Um, we get ourselves out of the, the recession by um, spending again. Um, this one could be a little different in that we're going to be out of product uh, if this uh, continues uh, at any um, depth or any duration. Um, now, recording this today on March 2nd, there you know, has been some uh, positive news out of China that is uh, reflected in some of the stock indexes, um, but um, I would caution against saying this is going to be a typical uh, V recovery. Um, if it is, great. Um, you know, if it's not, um, we, we should be prepared to uh, ride that out. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my understanding on the on the medical uh, side, you know, on the you know financial uncertainty that kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, political world. Uh, the stock market does not like uncertainty. Um, my personal view is that the stock market has been uh, looking for some reason to correct. Uh, that it has been pretty frothy, uh, has been somewhat priced to perfection, and that uh, the coronavirus really kind of said, you know, that's it, we're going to pull back. And we saw 11, 12% pullback uh, in the major um, indexes uh, last week. Um, so, so you what would... What I have uh, taken note of is a, a couple of the folks, that, both from the medical, uh, clinical side of things and from the uh, um, financial world, saying that they think that a cure, either in the form of an antiviral that might um, lessen the impacts of the infections, uh, or indeed a vaccine uh, might be the ultimate exit. Um, and I thought it was a little ironic that in these political times, it was places like Gilead Sciences uh, coming to the fore with perhaps the best chance for some of these drugs. Right. At the same time, they're, they're being pounded um, as uh, you know, being pariahs on society. <laughs> um, not to say they can't, you know, not, not, to, not to say they can't be, be, uh, uh, be, um, be both. Right. Um, right. So, so would you, would you subscribe to the idea though, that the, the economy, uh, the economy's mechanisms are strong, but the, um, the situation has tripped up the markets and then tripped up the, uh, or the, the structure of the economy is still strong. It's just, this is an event. Well, we don't know. We, we don't know how long it lasts or how broad it goes. Um, if, if it goes long enough and broadly enough uh, where economic decisions start getting made about do we have to relocate that plant from uh, a particular area and bring it into a completely different um, continent, mm -hmm. um, that is going to be a, um, a very long-term implication. 
Um, and it may you know, spur some preventive policy about where our infrastructure investments um, need to go. Uh, but I think, you know, Brian, you're kind of nibbling around the edges of that in this heightened partisan uh, political times, you almost have people polling for a bad response from the administration. Um, I, I was frankly disgusted uh, at some of the leaders who I, I should not call them leaders, uh, running to the microphone to um, chastise the administration before uh, we knew anything. Yeah. Um, and, and that there, you know, that there are political reasons for a go slow, um, as well as, a, as a, uh, medical. Um, so I, I think that we, we need to treat this for what it is. It's a, um, medical, clinical, um, public health matter, um, that, all of this is intertwined with a global economy and that we need to try to get back to fact-based reporting. Um, although I, I admit that when I'm reading news sources, I'm always understanding their filter, who they're trying to make look good, who they're trying to make look bad, mm -hmm. who they're trying to make villains, who they're trying to make heroes of when we just need to know the, the scientific facts. Yeah, um, the, the op-ed piece. And... I will tell you, we, have, we, we do have a lot of great scientists in the United <laughs> States of America. I've had occasion to uh, speak to a couple of them, and they they believe that our policy response is, is moving in the right direction. Well, that's good. And But I think you, you would have been surprised. I know you well enough. I think you would have been surprised if it hadn't um, gone political this early. But there was a um, there was a an op-ed piece in the in the New York Times yesterday, uh, or maybe it was the day before yesterday, um, that wanted to label this the Trump virus, which I thought was way out of the line. Um, that that starts to politica, uh, politicize it and weaponize this right away. Um, is that an example of what you're talking about? How how quickly this happened? Yeah, that's 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 an extreme and. Um... You know, look, the coronavirus killed the stock market, right? Um, we can see that, um, you know, will the stock market come back? And it, it seems to me that the, you know, Democratic National Committee establishment is trying to kill off their most electable candidates these days. Um, <laughs> that may be um, more un uncontrollable. Uh, you know, over the past uh, just few hours, um, you know, Pete uh, Buttigieg um, has withdrawn from the race, mm -hmm. um, and, and now Amy uh, Klobuchar. Well, and, you know, I was going to ask you before this started. You know, have you voted yet? Did, do you do an absent, absentee vote or absentee ballot? Yeah, I voted. I voted. If a Michigan uh, primary is uh, next week, March tenth, um, I did vote in that primary. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did cast a vote for Tulsi Gabbard. I ah. voted my. I, I voted my conscience. Um, <laughs> I like her view of about not getting engaged in endless wars. Um, when she first got in the race, I thought, well, this is someone running for second place, um, you know, to be the vice president. Um, I'm somewhat partial to Polynesian people, as you well know. <laughs> but right. that's, I'm just, I just shouldn't get a joke about that, but it's true. Um, but I, I thought, <laughs> for folks out there, it, 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 it's a yeah. wife, so, so it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, uh, 
I, I think that, you know, if you look at who's left on the Democrat side and you had to say, look, you know, straight up, one of those versus Tulsi Gabbard, I, you know, I, I suspect Tulsi would do rather well, if not get um, a, a majority. Um, but it, it seems like the the uh, the Democrats right now are trying to take the worst of their 2016 playbook and the worst of the uh, Republicans 2016 playbook and put them together. Um, what I mean by that is that you have a, a, a populist candidate in Bernie Sanders who appears to be hated by the Democratic National Committee establishment about as much as they loathe Donald Trump. <laughs> it's um, close, yeah. It, 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 it's a matchup. And I just, I look at this with astonishment to say, look, is this the best you can do? Let's organize to nominate a guy well into his 70s with a history of dumb and untruthful statements, including in recent days that he was arrested trying to see Nelson Mandela, who has a history of making racist um, comments, who has boundary issues with women, who still has unaddressed uh, Ukrainian corruption matters, and he's now seen as the, the last chance for the Democratic establishment to, quote, stop Bernie. And what was the pivotal event? He won the primary in a state, South Carolina, that is going to vote Republican in 2020. Hmm. And I sat back, I look at this, I, I'm, I'm just astonished. Like, <laughs> really? That's your answer and that's why? And you had so many good people early on that were just um, eliminated. Yeah, and now, and now you've got Sanders, um, who's kind of the, the, the last paragraph of the long memo that's been <laughs> written to the DNC establishment. This is, hey, we don't like your establishment candidates. And, and you know, Senator Sanders, uh, who I think is a genuine, authentic guy and a guy that I supported a lot in, in 16, I, I, I think that his candidacy, it's really, it's a function of the primary process and the Trump presidency and the utter tone deafness of the, the Democrats. Ellis Sanders made a much better candidate in 2016 when we needed to have a uh, disruptive election. Um, I think he had a posture then of being more conciliatory and and saying let's let's uh, stake out a policy position and let's work to the best outcome we can get. Um, haven't heard him saying that as much as he's you know making a pitch for um, uh, you know a an extreme position or nothing, but it kind of reminds me of the Tea Party, and and, and that didn't work out all that well mm -hmm. um so who knows that come this fall we may have the aforementioned or for described joe biden who has got many issues and lord knows what he's going to say during the 
the campaign. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> running against uh, Donald Trump, an incumbent President Trump, who has many of those uh, same issues and massive, you know, personal flaws where people want an off ramp. And, you know, are they going to trade one for the other? I guess that remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. Or now we have a, a or, or potentially a Senator Sanders who um, is advocating um, a, a, a much larger commitment to a, to what some people would view as um, a more uh, um, extremist versus a, um, a a more a more populist uh, type of an appeal. Yeah. Um, so, so at the and, end, and, at the end of the day, after after 2016, though the Democrats are left with an old 70 some year old guy, whether it's Sanders or it's uh, Biden. And I've been wanting to ask you this for a while. We haven't we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, but um, I really wanted to ask you: Do you think it's odd that the Democrats set up their primary system such that uh, the first two primaries or caucuses out of the gate? Uh, I really go to a, a white, a whiter audience, and it it really whacked a lot of the diversity out of the uh, Democratic um, field, uh, and, and not and then not allowing those people to have any kind of leverage to raise money after that. It seems like there's an inherent flaw in a party that really wants to try to be inclusive. Do, do you see it that way at all? I I um, wouldn't know how to to characterize that. Mm -hmm. um, that they have to sequence the primaries in some way. Well, I think it's and, it's in their constitution, so I know why they do it. But boy, this year, Gabbert, you know, the person you mentioned, um, Castro, uh, every every young, diverse candidate was left in the lurch because they went to Iowa and Vermont first, which really they really didn't have a prayer of coming up big anyway. Yeah, well, uh, Gabbard was running really well in New Hampshire for some time, and then she was um, not in some of the debates, um, wasn't called on in some of the debates. Um, That's right, yeah. You, you know, so there, uh, you know, you still got to appeal to the whole country, no sure. matter who you ap appeal to first. And, you know, what we're, you know, looking at right now is um, – I, I think that despite how well this president has done on trade, um, on the military, you know, we have had no new wars. Mm -hmm. NATO's paying more. We've had a modernized uh, military. Um, I, I think you look at the personal flaws, uh, you know, people, I believe, want an off ramp. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, seriously, do, you, do we need four more years of 320 million people cringing? looking over their shoulders and saying, what's he going to do next? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I believe, and by the way, political prognostications is a, a low percentage game. Sure. Um, as demonstrated by my vote, but um, that's a, that's another <laughs> uh, matter. Uh, though I do believe that if they, if this goes down to the wire where it's going to be either, um, you know, Biden or Sanders, and I suppose it could be um, Mayor Bloomberg. I suppose it could be Senator Warren as well. And again, I thought Warren was running a, a really good campaign and really the campaign that could beat Trump. But well, go, again, go back to that for a minute. Help. What do you think happened to her along the way? Because you you have been a supporter of hers uh, in the past, but I've seen you go a little bit colder. What do you think happened with her campaign that uh, that you see at this point? 
Well, I don't think it was so much her campaign as it was the conditions on the ground. Oh, um, I see. That, that I, I, I liked what she did because uh, she stayed on policy. And where you may not like all of her policies, but she s- starts with an idea. And they are nominally sensible. Um, and, you know, I could see her in a debate against Donald Trump and Trump, you know, insults her and calls her name and whatever. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, you know, I'm not going to address that. Let's talk about student debt. Here's my plan. What's yours? Yeah. And she says, let's talk about uh, making the, the economy more fair. Here's my plan. What's yours? Um, that's the kind of campaign that I think in a general election uh, would be very appealing. Um, and if she you know, picked the right uh, VP and she made a pivot to not vilifying business as much, mm-hmm. I-, I thought she that people would look at her and go, you know, there's the off ramp we're looking for. Yeah, She's not gonna mess up what we've got. And you know, she's got ideas and you know, she's not, it, we're not gonna be down in the muck. Yeah. And, and Brian, I say this because, so right now, if I was going to forecast anything, I'd say that the coattails for Bernie Sanders are very short and in that the seats that the Democrats won in 2018 um, in districts that Trump won in uh, 2016, um, Sanders is going to be um, a, an anvil or a boat anchor there. Mm-hmm. And those districts will probably go Republican. You're saying in the House. Thinking. In the house, really? So, so, so you say, yes. and, and and I'm sorry if this cut off before, but you're saying that the Democrats are in grave danger of losing the house this fall. I, I think it's almost an assured thing. Really? So you think there's down yeah. ticket uh, carnage, even if it's not Sanders, or if it's Sanders or Biden, is there less with one or the other, or no, or it's, or Bloomberg? It's it's uh, we don't know enough about Bloomberg. They they tore him up in the debate. Yeah, and he he did not do well. I will say that I think we are past the age of television commercials uh, defining a presidency and sweeping someone to victory. That might have worked mm-hmm. in 1960. But nobody's it's watching TV today. Right. Nobody's watching TV yeah, on well, schedule anymore. Right. Look at look at look at what the Clinton campaign spent in 2016 um, versus what the Trump campaign spent and Clinton lost. Yeah. Okay. It's a good point. And, and and again, now Trump didn't spend in the states that, you know, California, New York, that he knew he was going to lose. And there are, there's some school of thought that that's where the popular uh, vote went. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think if, if Sanders was elected, he's probably going to end up with a Republican House and a Republican Senate. If Trump wins, he will probably end up with a Republican House and a Republican Senate. Really? Um, uh, oh, if Trump, Trump will carry the... Um, uh, his coattails are strong, mm-hmm. and it'll be a, a more of a turnout election. And the people that will turn out to Trump will for Trump will turn out to vote Republican for Congress. And it, it, it's more likely to be a low turnout um, for whomever the Democrat is, which will imperil that um, uh, House majority. Um, now, I would say Biden. I, I will be shocked if he's elected president. Mm-hmm. Um, there's far too much attack surface, and I just don't see him being 
mentally agile uh, enough to get through this, uh, despite all the favorable media coverage that he's going to get. Um, sure. Yeah, and so, I understand that. And, and I also agree with you on that. I'm not sure why, but he doesn't seem as sharp and strong as he did even uh, four years ago. Right. And he's and he's always had issues with uh, things like the the uh, English language and speaking the truth and mm -hmm. um, not saying colossally idiotic things. <laughs> um, I, mean, that's, I mean, you know, come on, that. They, they try to paper it over by saying, oh, it's he's, he's they're gaffes. Well, um, at what point does a gaff become stupidity? I don't know, but it's someplace. You know, but look, Brian, here's, here's the thing. Is we wrap this up. Sure. Here's my concern for the country. And I think the bigger question is this, is that after the election, how will people behave? And we saw... And we've had to witness three and a half years of an incredible string of juvenile bad behavior and power abuses by people that opposed this president. Yeah, the, the moment right. the election was over and certainly at the inauguration, we saw cities starting to burn. Yeah, it's it's a it, it, and we saw the president start to gloat. Mm -hmm. So so what I mean by behavior, I mean by the winners and by the losers. I see. And what there was a day when, after the election, that you know after the concession call was made, that um, the losing candidate would say, you know, we'd like to see you support our president because we're all Americans, and. What did we hear from large parts of America? Well, I don't have a president, not my president. Well, or we're going to impeach different. him. We're going to impeach him. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, literally the day after. Yeah. Gonna impeach yeah. You guys. So, what if Senator Sanders becomes the forty-sixth president of the United States? What's the message to America at that time? since so much of his campaign now is focused on tearing things down and attacking people. That's how are people going to behave if he wins? It's similarly how are some of the, um, um, you know, very hardcore Trump supporters going to react to a Sanders presidency. And then, you know, similarly with Joe Biden, what, if for Joe Biden to win the presidency, what kind of a campaign would he have to run and whose support would he need to obtain? And could he be a unifying factor? And this kind of to bring this full circle, I think when the Democrats lost Buttigieg and Klobuchar, they lost their last two voices of moderation and reason and i mean i could really easily see either a klobuchar or a Buttigieg, um you know at the election saying okay the election's behind us and i'm here for all americans and people believe in it mm -hmm. and, I, and, and i need to I ask you this I, but i need to ask you this um and I know, I know you don't like to make these predictions outright but everybody loves hearing your opinion on this what do you see as a good ticket for the for the Democrats, and does it include those two, or is it somebody else altogether different? As a vice president, is what I'm saying. Uh, Sanders is um, 
going to have to bring in somebody from more of the center of the party. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news, he's so far over on the edge that pretty much that includes everybody <laughs> with a D next to their name. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, and I also think he needs uh, somebody from you know the upper Midwest uh, to be on that ticket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why Elizabeth Warren would make a great VP for him. Um, uh, an Amy Klobuchar would make Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very good uh, governor in her first term in the state of Michigan, and Gretchen Whitmer. That's a good point, um, yeah. Probably a little early for her, but she's really handling the job well uh, in the, these early stages. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't really see her on that same ticket with a, with a Bernie Sanders. What about Mayor Pete? Uh, uh, that's always a possibility. I mean, the guy, look, this is a guy that just doesn't get rattled. He's the voice of reason. He's mm-hmm. of the correct age. Yeah. Um, he's he's also been hypercritical of uh, Senator Sanders, and that would be, I think, a headwind there. Yeah. Um, Biden clearly has to pick somebody much younger, and and the good news there is at his age. Pretty much means everybody, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and, and uh, I I think that a a woman would be a great choice for him. Mm-hmm. Um, although, given his um, issues uh, with behavior around women, I, I I don't know who they could pick. Yeah. At this point, but I, I think uh, you know Biden is going to do okay in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. How he does in Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, I do believe remains to be seen. I, I don't know. I, I don't see a Biden-Sanders ticket. Yeah. You're talking about you're talking about a total age of probably 150. Right there, you know, which... <laughs> I know. I don't know if we're getting into the uh, territory where um, when when FDR picked Truman, everybody knew whoever he picked was going to be the president. I mean, Truman or uh, FDR wasn't old, but he was so sick, and everybody knew this was going to happen. But, uh, you don't see that here, do you? Like pick somebody because you guys are all in your upper 70s pushing 80 well people are living longer these days mm-hmm. um, <laughs> my my, my quip gene is saying <laughs> there's a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that are kind of liking a president pence <laughs> but do me a favor and do all of all the listeners a favor and after uh super tuesday which is tomorrow um let's do a week from now and and do this again because uh I, we've gotten a lot of feedback from our listeners that really like when when you go off like this, but we just have to make sure everybody knows it's not the Common Bridge. Right. Look, the Common Bridge was was established because partisan party politics um, has probably outlived its shelf life as a means of addressing the issues of the day and seizing the opportunities that this great country has before us. And we do want to focus on real information, real policies, irrespective if it has a D, an R, an I, a G, or a whatever uh, next to the author mm-hmm. of that um, of that policy. Um, so, you know, these little side trips into the political world are fun, but we, we have to think about what does our country look like post-election, and, you know, what 
are some of the problems that we think will get addressed? What are those we think will be unaddressed depending on the uh, result? And, and what opportunities could be seized um, you know, based on, on the results of those things? Um, I, I personally do not believe that any of the candidates we see from either of the two major parties um, is our best answer. Uh, certainly out of the 320 million people in the United States of America, we can do better uh, both in terms of the people uh, and in their behavior in carrying out their duties uh, to lead the country. Fair enough. And again, I apologize for, for jumping and finding you this time and making you a comment on this. But like I say, the, the listening audience really likes it. So um, thanks for doing this with us. Hey, I'm coming to Michigan. I know where to find you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, Rich. All right. Thanks. So long. Bye. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.